the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the goodness of the moment. The problem is when we compare everything by yesterday and we lose sight of what God is doing today. And nothing can basically compare to the good old days. That's when it becomes a problem. And so bad memories, as well as good memories, if we get stuck in those places, can rob us of seeing what God is doing in the present. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezra. Ah, the good old days. Do you ever find yourself reminiscing? Maybe you know some people who never stop talking about the good old days. What about today? What's God doing in your life now? Pastor Gary shares with us in today's teaching how important it is that we never get so caught up in good memories or even weighed down by sad ones that we miss out on making new memories. God's doing a glorious new work in your life today. There's nothing wrong with cherishing memories unless they keep you from rejoicing in today. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Ezra chapter 3 for part 2 of today's message titled, Don't Let Yesterday Rob You of Today. G. Campbell Morgan wrote in his commentary about this story, he said, quote this, There was a danger in their weeping. The backward look which discounts present activity is always a peril. Regrets over the past which paralyze work in the present are always wrong. Moreover, all such regrets, as in this case, are in danger of blinding the eyes to the true value and significance of the present, end quote. In other words, any of us can get stuck in the past and miss what God is doing now. And let me tell you how this relates to us. It relates to us individually, and it relates to us corporately as a church. And let me also say this. It has to do with memories that are not only bad memories, but also good memories. That if we get stuck there, it can blind us and rob us of seeing what God is doing now. 
So let me just address for the moment how this relates to us individually on a personal level. And when we think about memories and how those things can rob us of seeing what God is doing now, let me first start with the idea of bad memories. Because, you know, bad memories can cheat us. They can rob us from seeing the moment in the present tense and what God is doing today. Now, bad memories usually come in one of three ways or a combination of these three ways. First is through tragedy. When tragedy strikes, it obviously creates a lasting bad memory. Tragedy has a way of, in a sense, causing time to stop. You know people or perhaps you are someone who has experienced a deep tragedy in your life and it was like time stood still. And now as a result, most of the things in your life are measured by that one tragic event. And I don't say that to shame anybody. I say that with compassion. I honestly have not experienced much tragedy in my life. I'm thankful for that. But in the course of 25 years, I've ministered to enough people that I've kind of learned, at least in part, from your tragic events, just how people deal with tragedy. And one thing I've come to understand is that a tragedy changes your life. It will permanently change your life. Whoever said time heals all wounds was never wounded, okay? Because time by itself just does not make everything go away and make everything better. A tragic event causes a permanent change in your life. And what we need to do is to offer compassion to people who are in a place where that memory has now shaped everything else about the present, and we need to have compassion for them, and we need to pray for them that over time, not that time itself heals all wounds, but that over time, God in his grace will give people coping mechanisms or the ability to manage their grief or their tragedy in a way that will help them still to see what God is doing in a good way now, okay? Because in general, folks, this is important for us to all understand, in general, we need to build on the good past we need to give to God the bad past, and we need to pray that we always have eyes to see what he's doing now so that we don't miss his goodness in the present day. And as it relates to our bad past and tragedies and the things that happen in our lives, we need for those people, we need God's grace to give them the ability to cope. That's what happens. You don't ever get over it, but you become over time by the grace of God able to cope and able to manage it. This is the kind of grace, for example, that a spouse needs who has been betrayed by another spouse in the marriage, and you need the grace of God to help you manage the betrayal in a way that you can learn to trust again. This is the kind of grace that parents need when they lose one of their children, one of their children dies, and they need the grace of God to help them manage their own grief while still loving and being engaged with their living children. It's hard. And those kind of memories then, if we're not careful to grow in the grace of God to help manage those things, they can then rob us of seeing what God is doing now. The same thing is true not only of tragedy that shapes our memories, but also offenses can shape our memories. 
the people who wrong us, the people who harm us, the people who hurt us in some way, those kind of offenses can also create bad memories. And here's what begins to happen. People who have been offended, and by the way, in case you've never been offended, that only means you haven't lived long enough, all right? We all are going to offend and be offended, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Offenses are a part of life. What do we do with those things? Because the tragedy is that many people have wasted an inordinate amount of their lives rehearsing and rehashing the offenses that were committed against them. And it robs them of what God is doing today. They can't see anything good of the Lord in today's terms or looking forward to tomorrow because they're stuck rehearsing something of the past that was done against them. When you look into the Gospels, you can see a clear case of this in the incident of Herodias and her husband, King Herod. John the Baptist confronted Herod and Herodias because they were living in sin. Herod stole his brother's wife, Herodias, and married her, and John the Baptist confronted them. You, King Herod, and Herodias are living in sin. This is not right. And the Bible says, and here's the term that it uses, Herodias, because she didn't like the confrontation of the truth from John the Baptist. The Bible says that Herodias, listen to this, nursed a grudge. You get that picture? Nursing a grudge. You know, tenderly treating that grudge in a way that it was growing in her heart and in her life. And it says she nursed a grudge and she wanted to kill John the Baptist. And when there was an opportune moment, she took advantage of it and she asked Herod, her husband, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And he did. He appeased her, cut off John the Baptist's head, gave it to her as a gift. All because she nursed a grudge. Okay? Instead of responding to the truth in that case, that wasn't like an offense. That was just confronted with the truth. But nevertheless, when we don't like what somebody says or does towards us and we nurse that, it has detrimental and devastating consequences. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up, causes trouble, and defiles many. You know what that verse means? It means if we give place to bitterness in our heart, if we allow it to grow and to fester, we rehearse, we rehash that thing that was done to us, we end up defiling many because our bitterness spills over to other people and other people don't want to be around you. And then you become isolated and then you get angry at the people who feel like, they, that what happened to my real friends? I'm going through this. They don't want to be near you because you've allowed bitterness to fester up, grow and spill over and you've defiled other people around you. Here's the key to getting over offenses and mistreatment and hurts. The Bible calls us to forgive those who have offended us. And the Bible says forgive as Christ has forgiven us. In other words, When we stop long enough to recognize all that God has forgiven ourselves of in terms of our offenses against Him, it'll go a long way to being able to forgive those who have wronged us. God says, forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. And it is a process, and sometimes it takes a long period of time to work through forgiveness, but it is so essential because, please understand, sometimes people think that when the idea of forgiveness is taught, That if I forgive somebody, that it's going to somehow validate their offense against me. They're going to think that what they did was okay to me if I forgive them. No, 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 that's not true. Forgiveness does not mean that all of a sudden what they did to you was okay. 
Forgiveness means that you no longer give that someone the power to hold you captive to what they did. And you set yourself free by giving them to God and giving that offense to God and letting God heal your heart and deal with the person who offended you. That's being free. It isn't validating what they did. It is saying, I no longer want to miss the goodness of the Lord today because I'm rehearsing the memory of the offense yesterday. It can rob us of these things. In addition, not only does tragedy and not only do offenses rob us potentially of missing what God is doing today, but so do our own sinful choices. There may be times when you will look back in your life and you will have deep regrets for different things that you did, for choices and sinful decisions that you made. And again, if you are stuck there and continue to just kind of wallow in all that I did and, and that was terrible and okay, repentance is a good thing. Being brokenhearted is a good thing. Not diminishing that at all. We need to come to a place of brokenness before God. But once you've done that, once we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Once you come to the Lord then and ask for his forgiveness, then also forgive yourself so that those things of your past do not rob you of what God is doing now. Now, those are three examples of kind of the bad memories, okay? Tragedies, offenses, our own sinful choices, So we have to guard against those bad memories. But listen, there can also be good memories that rob us of the present. And here's how. You can begin to just focus on the fond memories and the good old days, and that's all you ever talk about, and that's all you ever think about, and that's the way you want life to be now. And that just isn't reality. Because things change, and things evolve, and over time, things pass. It's okay to be sentimental. It's okay to, obviously, you know, love to recall memories and wonderful, fond times with friends and family members. I mean, that's a good thing. The problem is when we get stuck there, and when we compare everything by yesterday, And when we start talking in terms of how we want everything to be just like it used to be, that becomes problematic. Let me give you an example. I think Peter in the Bible, I think Peter was a sentimental guy. I think he was. The guy's got some faults like we all do. He was risky in a good way, but sometimes his risk took him into bad places. And many times he said things and then thought about it later. I'm sure no one can relate. But anyway, he had some bad qualities. We have some bad qualities. One of the things I think that you see about Peter in the scriptures is that he was also a sentimental guy. And there's one story that speaks to me about how sentimental he was. And it is the story when Jesus was transfigured on a high mountain in front of Peter, James, and John. The Bible says that on one occasion, Jesus took his 12 disciples left nine at the bottom of a mountain and took three, Peter, James, and John, up on a high mountain where the Bible says he was transfigured before them. Now, what that means is the Bible describes Jesus becoming this incredibly brilliant white appearance. So it's basically a glimpse of the glory of Jesus manifest there right in front of Peter, James, and John. And then all of a sudden, appearing with Jesus, the Bible says was Moses, the great lawgiver, and Elijah, the great prophet. And Peter, seeing, wow, this is Moses, this is Elijah, this is Jesus, how much better can it get than this? And what does he do? In Luke 9, 33, this is what it says. He says to Jesus, Peter does, Master, it is good for us to be here. 
let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then the next sentence in parenthesis says, he did not know what he was saying. So he's just going off because he's like, this is an incredible event. This is incredible. Jesus, we need to build a hut for you and a hut for Moses and a hut for Elijah. We need to preserve this moment. I don't know why I just said that, but we need to do this. I know why he said that, don't you? He said it because he wanted to preserve the moment. This is a good thing. This is incredible. That's all. This is a special Kodak moment here. That just dated me. This is a special Instagram moment right here. Let's take a selfie of all of us right here. Come on. So here he goes, the Jesus and Moses. Wouldn't that be awesome Like to have a selfie with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah? And so Peter's like, I don't want this moment to evaporate. Let's hold on to this. I think he's being very sentimental here. Because, you know, I can identify. Anybody else here not want a good thing to end, right? I personally, I don't like goodbyes. I don't like the last day of family vacation. I don't like the day after Christmas. I don't like when things start to fade away and, you know, it comes to an end. Because if it's really enjoyable, you want it to last, you know, just get Thanksgiving. Maybe you were with family and friends. You're like, this is so wonderful. This is so great. We all get along. I wish this could just last another day. For others of you, you're thinking, when are they going to go home? (laughs) But if it's a good thing happening, you want to kind of preserve this. Isn't this wonderful? This is great. So that's what Peter is doing here. And that's what many of us do. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying the goodness of the moment. The problem is when we compare everything by yesterday. And we lose sight of what God is doing today. And nothing can basically compare to the good old days. That's when it becomes a problem. And so bad memories, as well as good memories, if we get stuck in those places, can rob us of seeing what God is doing in the present. That's what's happening in this story. That's what can happen in our lives. That's what can happen in our church. So in the last couple of minutes, let me give this application for us corporately as a church. And this is true for any church. In every church, you have people who have been there for a long time, and you have people who are recently new. That's just the reality of every church. So we have here at Cornerstone, we have some what I'll call long-timers, not old-timers, because it's not about age. Some of you are long-timers. You've been here a long time. And you remember the early days when we first got started. Some of you can go back to those days. And you remember when we were all one small little group. And we were all in one little service. And everybody knew everybody's name. And there was one service so you knew everybody who went to the church. And it was just, oh, such a great time. Oh, the good old days. Of course, that was also the days when gasoline was $1.09 a gallon, when boys to men dominated the chart, and when a mullet was a really good haircut. Okay? But it was those days. And you're looking, you go, oh, I remember those days. Oh, those were good old days. Okay, that's fine. All right? But then we have some newer people. You've come in the last few years, 
and you already accept. I'm not going to know everybody's name. They have multiple services. I don't even know if my neighbor goes to the church. I heard my neighbor did, but I don't even know where they are. But it doesn't really matter because, see, you're just excited about what God is doing now. And maybe you got saved and you're just like, oh, people are getting saved. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, God is doing something here. Oh, this is great. Now, listen, the long timers also appreciate what God is doing and people are getting saved. And maybe you got saved a long time ago, too. But the newer people, they have nothing to compare to. Whereas if we're not careful, the long timers can say, yeah, but I remember when we knew everybody's name. Now I don't know anybody. I remember the good old days. Mm. And what we need to understand is that, listen, folks, we need both. We need both groups. We need the long timers to appreciate the wide-eyed enthusiasm of the newer people who are looking at what God is doing now and excited about what God is doing. And we need the newer people to glean from the long timers so that they can bring the perspective of never forgetting the faithfulness of God and never forgetting what God has done over the years so that together, both those who have been here a long time and those who have been here more recently can rejoice and see what God is doing today. Because we don't want to miss what God is doing now just because we're thankful for what God has done. And let me tell you how this all came to a head here in the book of Ezra. Here you have the older crowd weeping, the newer crowd rejoicing, and there's this mixture, it's just noise, and they're not in harmony, they're not in unity here about moving forward. You know what happens? God brings the prophet Haggai onto the scene. Now what you need to understand, if you didn't already know this, is that your Bibles are pretty much not in chronological order. So when you come to the section of the prophets in your Bibles, the prophets, their ministry gets inserted somewhere else in the Old Testament. And the prophet Haggai, a small little book in your Old Testament, the prophet Haggai ministered right here during the time of the book of Ezra. And God sends Haggai onto the scene here. Because you got this mixture. Some who were excited, some who were bemoaning and all this kind of stuff. And here's what Haggai says, and I can read it to you probably quicker than you can find it in your Bibles. But it's Haggai chapter 2, and in verse 1 it says this. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, this is what he was to ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? In other words, Haggai says, can I see a show of hands? Who's over 70? Who remembers the days before captivity? Who among you here remembers the glory of the former temple? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? And then in verse 6, Haggai says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Your attention, here's what Haggai is saying. saying, folks, listen, those of you who remember the glory days and the good old days, don't miss what God is doing now because I just want you to know that it's not about the structure. It is about the God who visits us within and does his work in our hearts. The glory of this new temple, the glory of the new house, the present house that they're building, 
will be greater than the glory of the former house. Now, by the way, this has a dual interpretation because the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 also quotes some of what I just read from the book of Haggai. And he says in reference to the coming of the Lord that when Jesus returns to earth, establishes his kingdom from Jerusalem and is situated in the temple of the Lord, the glory of that house will be greater than any previous glories before that as well. But the idea is this, folks. I'm so thankful what God has done here over the years. I'm so thankful for the hundreds and hundreds of lives who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, for marriages that have been restored, for bodies that have been healed, for the great work that God is doing, okay? But I pray and believe and want to see the glory of the next house being greater than the glory of the present. Because I believe that God is going to do an even greater work for his name's sake, for his glory in our midst. And if we don't open our eyes to see the goodness of the Lord, we will miss what God is doing today. Pastor Gary shared more from the story of the return of the exiles from the Persian Empire. God shows us through this book that he keeps his promises. Before the exile, God had promised 70 years earlier that his people would once again return to the land. God is always faithful to complete what he has begun and to fulfill his promises. We too can count on him always. We hope today's message has been encouraging to you. If you don't know God and would like to, please call us at 703-771-1500. We'd love to introduce you to him. Once again, that number is 703-771-1500. If you enjoyed today's message and want to hear more, we have an archive of teachings available on our website. You can subscribe to our podcast or just listen online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also have a mobile app that you can download to your smartphone or tablet. Take the biblically-based messages of Cornerstone Connection with you on the go to add some encouragement to your day. That's all we have time for today. We've enjoyed our time together with you. Join us again for more of Pastor Gary's study in the book of Ezra next time on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.